we're ready. Thank you. Um, good morning. It is now 11 a.m. My name is Anna Van Degna, and this is a regular meeting of the Oversight Board for Monday, uh, January 10th, 2022. I'd like to welcome the members of the public who are streaming or listening to us live and to the staff and guests who will be participating in today's meeting. Following the guidelines set forth by local and state officials during this health emergency, the members of the Oversight Board are meeting remotely to ensure the safety of everyone, including the members of the public. Thank you all for joining us. Madam Secretary, please call the first item. Thank you, Madam Chair. The first order of business is item one roll call. Board members, please respond when I call your name. Board member Correct. Present. Board member Lee. Here. Board member Williams. Board member Williams is absent. Vice Chair Ely. Present. And Chair Van Degna. Present. Members of support are present. Uh, board member Williams is absent. Please note that a seat for the city and county of San Francisco and the San Francisco Unified School District are vacant. Madam Chair. To comply with the recent state legislation and to allow us to continue and to hold a teleconference meeting, I'd like to call item 5A out of order and make it the first item on the agenda. Madam Secretary, please call item 5A. Item 5A is resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E, discussion and action resolution number 1 2022. Madam Interim Director. Thank you, Madam Secretary, and good morning, board members, and Happy New Year. It's nice to see you all. Uh, so since we last met in September, there have been changes uh, in how uh, bodies can meet uh, remotely during this health emergency. And one of the requirements is that every 30 days, uh, a body must adopt findings uh, that, they're, uh, that it is important to continue to meet remotely given the health emergency. Um, so that is what is before you right now. Um, it's fairly straightforward, but I'm happy to answer any questions if you have them. Thanks. I propose yeah, a... Please go. Oh, I was going to make a motion to adopt the motion. Uh, sure, I think we, we may need to see if there's public comment um, first. Uh, Madam Secretary, do you have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Uh, yes, Madam Chair. But before I do that, I'd like to acknowledge that Board Member Williams has joined us. So she is in the meeting right now. And at this time, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415. 655-0001. Please um, enter access code 2480-088-8854. Press the pound sign and then the pound sign again. When prompted, press star then three to join the queue. And if you are listening to us by phone and would like to provide public comment, please press star three. We'll give the public just a few moments. Madam Chair, it does not appear anyone on the list is um, going to provide a public comment on this item. Okay, thank you. Um, and who was that that had the um, motion? Uh, it was uh, me, uh, Member Corret. Thank you, uh, Director Corret. And do I have a second? I'll second that. that Board Member Lee. Thank you. Thank you, Board Member Lee. Um, Madam Secretary, could you please take the roll? Board members, please announce your vote for item 5A when I call your name. Board Member Correct. Aye. Board Member Lee. Yes. Board Member Williams. Board Member Williams, I think you're on mute. We'll go back to Board Member Williams. Vice Chair Ely. Yes. Chair Van Degna. Yes. And going back to uh, Director Williams, do you have a vote for continuing the teleconference meetings? 
Okay, I will mark Director Williams absent as of right now. Um, Madam Chair, the vote is four ayes and one absent. Uh, thank you. The motion carries. Madam Secretary, uh, please call the next item. The next order of business is item two, approval of minutes. Regular meeting of September 27th, 2021. Madam Chair. Do we have any comments on the minutes from board members? Okay, um, hearing none, uh, Madam Secretary, do we have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? At this time, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on the minutes, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2480-088-8854, press the pound sign and then the pound sign again, then press star three to submit your request to speak. Any members who are already on the phone with us, and if you'd like to provide public comment, please press star three. Madam Chair, it does not appear there are any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. Thank you. Um, board members, can I get a motion to approve the item? I'll move this item for approval. This is Board Member Lee. Thank you. Uh, do I have a second? I have a second. Thank you, Board Member Ailing. Uh, Madam Secretary, could you please take roll call on this item? Board members, please announce your vote for item 2A when I call your name. Board member Brett. Aye. Board member Lee. Yes. Board member Williams, looks like she is still uh, around. Okay, so she's absent. And Vice Chair Ely. Yes. And Chair Van Degna. Yes. Madam Chair, the vote is four ayes, one absent. Thank you, the motion carries. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. The next order of business is item three announcements. A, the next regularly scheduled oversight board meeting will be held remotely on Monday, January 24th, 2022 at 11 a.m. B, announcement of public comment procedures, please be advised a member of the public has up to three minutes to make pertinent public comments on each agenda item unless the board adopts a shorter period on any item. During each public comment period, viewers online will be instructed to dial 415-655-0001, enter the access code, which is 2480-088-8854, press the pound sign twice to enter the call. When prompted, press star then three to submit your request to speak. When you dial star three, you will hear the following message. You have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait until to, until the host calls on you. When you hear your line has been unmuted, this is your opportunity to provide your public comment. You will have three minutes. Please speak clearly and slowly, and you will be placed back on mute once you are done speaking. The next order of business is item four, consent agenda. There are no consent agenda items. The next order of business is the regular agenda item. Item 5B, workshop on the recognized obligation payment schedule for July 1st, 2022 to June 30th, 2023. ROPS 22-23, discussion. Madam Interim Director. Thank you, Madam Secretary. And again, good morning, board members. So here we are once again in the month of January when we must uh, submit our recognized obligation payment schedule uh, to the State Department of Finance by the end of the month. And so, as is our practice, is we like to come to the oversight board uh, to do a workshop to uh, go over all the items with you, answer any questions you might have before we return later this month um, to actually seek an approval. So, again, today is a workshop in which you are going to hear from Mina Yu from our finance team, who will sort of set the stage and walk you through um, the parameters of our of our ROPS this year, as well as hearing from project managers working directly on our. On our work programs, it'll share a little bit about uh, what they'll be up to in the next fiscal year, along with details um, of that uh, recognized obligation payment schedule. And just a reminder, this is setting our uppermost uh, uh, limit in terms of a budget, but uh, as OCII, we still go through the standard uh, process 
uh, with the mayor's office and the board of supervisors in the spring, along with other city departments to set our annual budget. Um, so, uh, but this is an important first step and we look forward to going over it with you and answering any questions you might have. So with that, I will turn it over to Mina Yu. Mina? Along with our project managers to present the workshop on August 22, slide, please. Excuse me, Mina. I'm sorry. Could you speak up a little bit, please? Yes. Can you better now? Just a little bit more if you can go a little closer. Sorry. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, next slide, please. So this is an overview of our five funding sources on our ROFs. We have our bond proceeds from our bonds issued. We have our reserve balances, which are property tax increment approved to be retained by DOF in prior year for current year use. We have our other funds, which comp is comprised of things like developer payments, grants. Um, we have our redevelopment property tax trust fund or RPTTF non-admin and our RPTTF admin, which is set by formula. Next slide, please. So you can see here our ROPS request for 22-23 by the five funding sources. Our total is 706.9 million. Bond proceeds is our largest source followed by RPTTF non-admin. Next slide, please. So this table just shows the year over year change from our current year ROPS to our 22-23 request. Um, you can see in the bottom row, the change is 157.3 million or 28.6% increase. Um, and you can see if you zoom in on the table, these changes are in bond proceeds, other funds, and RPTTF non-admin. Um, in our bond proceeds, we are largely funding new, two new Transbay parks, and we have um, two bond issuances planned. So one of this is a refunding, which there's a technical requirement we, where we have to include the total refunding amount in our bond proceeds. Um, and then we have our other funds, which are primarily fees that we receive from our development partners. And this is to fund um, five affordable housing projects that we have in our pipeline. And then our RPTTF non-admin increase is largely due to funding for one of our Transbay parks debt service on the two new bond issuances, and then increases in our pledges for um, the TJPA and Mission Bay. Um, next slide, please. So this table shows our 706.9 million requests broken up by our use types. You can see that our largest use is our affordable housing um, followed by our debt program. Next slide, please. So here we have the year-over-year -year comparison by our use types um, in affordable housing that changes, again, are, are due to those um, affordable housing projects in our portfolio. In Transbay, we have our funding for our Transbay Park and our underramp park. And then in debt, we have um, the issuance, uh, the, the technical requirement of including the total bond amount for the refunding bond. Um, the estimated debt service on those new bonds, and these are offset by the decrease in our debt service schedule. Next slide, please. So this table pulls out the RPTTF um, source from that last use table that you just saw. Um, the majority of funds will be spent in our debt program and on Transbay. Um, so we pay for our debt service on our bonds with RPTTF. And the majority of that 39.6 million in our Transbay is for the pledge RPTTF to the TJPA. Next slide, please. So this is again a year-over-year -year comparison um, for our RPTTF request. In Mission Bay, this change is because of our request from our developer to uh, refund our infrastructure reimbursements. In Transbay, it is for the tra uh, TJPA growth and pledge increment. In Shipyard, the change is because we have spent down um, more of our EDA grants, so the matching funds uh, required for that grant have decreased. In debt, there was a net increase of 15.3 million. Again, this is to account for the planned decrease in our debt service schedule offset by um, our developers requested partially defeased 2016D um, and our operations have um, 
the change is because we have spent down on our reserve in prior years and we're requesting new RPTTF to pay for that portion of our operating budget. And with that, I will turn it over to Elizabeth for our affordable housing program. Good morning. Uh, so next slide. For ROPS 22-23, housing is requesting a total of 272.8 million dollars, as Mina mentioned, to fund pre-development and construction activities for our affordable housing projects. As you can see, the primary sources requested are bond proceeds and other funds. The other funds mainly consist of in lieu fees, which are payments from developers that have been made pursuant to various project or program requirements over the years and which are designated for affordable housing use. Other funds are making up the majority of funds by a little bit at $130.8 million. And these funds requested will primarily go to fund construction gap loans for five of our affordable housing projects, along with two new pre-development loans. Next slide, please. So housing's ROPS 22-23 request includes funding for projects across our three main project areas of Hunters Point Shipyard and Candlestick Point, Mission Bay, and Trans Bay. With the highest expenditure in Trans Bay at 157.8 million, followed by Hunters Point Shipyard Candlestick Point at 108 million, and then Mission Bay at 7 million. Next slide, please. In total, OCII's housing ROPS request will go to fund 1,371 affordable housing units in development across our three project areas. 157.8 in Trans Bay will go to fund 524 units. 108 million in the Shipyard and Candlestick Point will fund 517 units. And 82.6 million in Mission Bay will go to fund 336. Uh, Sorry, um, 7 million in Transbay will go to fund 330 units. Next slide. And here you can see all the projects that will be funded under the ROPS. For ongoing projects, we have included gap loans with some allowances for increases due to state funding delays. And we have um, new pre-development loans for the for two remaining Mission Bay parcels. And that's it for my presentation. Back to Mina. Thank you. We can turn it over to Mark Sleskin for Mission Bay. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Morning, Chair Mendigna, Vice Chair Elise, Board Members, and Director of Sports. Mark Sleskin, Project Manager for Mission Bay. A uh, slide we have here is several pictures of what's going on in Mission Bay. In the top right, see how built out Mission Bay has become. Uh, bottom right is Park P22, which is also known as Bayfront Park. It's going to be a five and a half acre park. Boom construction couple months. Bottom left is 1450 Owens, which is a life science building that Alexander Real Estate start construction on, and it will be construction throughout uh, next fiscal year. And then in the top left is Park P2, which is a park along Mission Creek. That should begin construction this summer. Next slide, please. So this slide showing the sources and uses uh, within Mission Bay. Development of infrastructure is the biggest use spread uh, out among the bonds, reserve balance, and RPTTF. Work with our parks and roads water pump station, professional services, that covers the reimbursement for city agencies, public works in the PC being the main ones, but also city attorney's office. And it's also funding for uh, hiring consultants um, to add entitlements for housing. For the other funds under professional services, that is the vertical developers reimbursing us for our time. Start program in Mission Bay, developers are required to do 1% of their hard costs in public art. Most of the developers build the art on site, but some pay an in lieu fee, and this is the 1.4 million. And then finally, uh, CFD debt, there is a uh, 
$70,000 balance on a CFD bond that we will be using. Next slide, please. So for the work program in Mission Bay annually, we'll be facilitating the completion of infrastructure for the parks, the pump station, and streets, looking to complete P22 and P2, P8. 1450 Owens will be under construction that we'll be monitoring. We'll be managing the existing parks and open space, and we'll be seeking to increase entitlements for housing. Uh, and for the detail, the infrastructure is 72.8 million, professional and services 3.9, art program is 1.4 million, and CFD debt is 70,000. And that is a program for Mission Bay. Next up will be Ben Brandon. Project Manager for Transbay. Thanks, Mark. Uh, good morning, Chair Van Degna, Oversight Board members, and Executive Director Orth. I'm Ben Brandon, Transbay Project Manager, and I'm going to walk you through the fiscal year 22-23 uh, Transbay Redevelopment Project Area Sources by Uses and Work Program. As evidenced by the graphics up in front of you right now, uh, you can see that a large portion of our Transbay work in the coming fiscal year We'll be focused on moving forward our block three and under ramp park projects, as well as preparing the former Transbay temporary terminal site for future development as two mixed use residential projects around a new one acre park. Next slide, please. Okay, so in ROPS fiscal year 22-23, OCII is requesting DOF authority for nearly $143 million to continue its work in the Transbay project area. While these numbers here reflect that infrastructure is the primary use for our funds in the coming fiscal year, it's a little bit misleading because we do not anticipate expending $105 million. Uh, the large sum um, for bonds and infrastructure, well, the large sum for infrastructure uh, at 105 million is largely driven by um, our expectation to issue bonds in the coming fiscal year, which will fund the eventual construction of our two park projects, uh, which we anticipate that happening in fiscal year 23 and 24. Therefore, the largest true expenditure uh, in fiscal year 22-23 will be the Transbay Joint Powers Authority uh, TJPA pledge at $37 million. The TJPA pledge is codified by the Tax Increment and Sales Proceeds Pledge Agreement, which, is irrevo which irrevocably commits net tax, net tax increment and sales proceeds from formerly state-owned parcels to the Salesforce Transit Center project. So consistent with this agreement, in ROPS 22 and 23, OCI will transfer pledged uh, RPTTF non-admin to the TJPA to fund the Transit Center project. We do expect to focus heavily on advancing our Block 3 and under ramp Park projects next year by advancing the design documentation for both of them. Uh, our primary sources covering our fiscal year 22-23 Transbay work are bond proceeds and RPTTF dollars. And again, those sources are covering our Parks projects and the TJPA pledge respectively. The $7.3 million in other funds is comprised of $6.9 million in Transbay park fees and about half a million dollars uh, in developer reimbursements. Next slide, please. Regarding the Transbay work program in fiscal year 22-23, the key activities we'll be focusing on are advancing the design of our two parks, uh, as well as facilitating the development of our two mixed-use residential projects, Transbay Block 2, which is 100% uh, affordable housing development, uh, for seniors and families, and then Transbay Block 4, which is a mixed-income, high-density housing project. We'll also be actively managing the interim activation of the former Transbay Temporary Terminal Site and our Essex Hillside Open Space property. To fund these activities, we're requesting nearly $105 million for infrastructure covering pre-development work on the two park projects and the bond issuances to fund their eventual construction as well as ensuring uh, the plant health for our newly re redesigned Folsom streetscapes. We've requested an additional $1 million to fund the consultants that support our projects and $37 million to fund the TJPA pledge. That wraps up the Transbay portion of this presentation, and I'll now turn things over to my colleague, Lila Hussein, to provide the overview of the Hunters Point Shipyard and Candlestick Point project areas. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Lila Hussain. I'm senior project manager for Hunters Point Shipyard, both phase one and phase two. And before you, you have a map of the site, uh, approximately 700 acres consists 
of um, both phase one and phase two. You have phase development on phase one happening, but shipyard phase two, their development is on hold. And Candlestick Point, which is consumed, uh, the majority of former um, lands from uh, the Candlestick Point Stadium. And then we have the Alice Brick of development there. Uh, next slide, please. Um, the shipyard budget is smaller than the previous projects you just saw. 13.4 million is the total. And the majority of the fund source are other, and by other meaning uh, developer reimbursement and grant funds. We have um, uh, the primary categories infrastructure since the project is in um, development phase and an uh, active construction in, on shipyard phase one, the majority of our costs are in that category. And so we have 7.7 .7 million, which consists of um, payments to public works, SFMTA, PUC, as well as um, consulting services for infrastructure and also consists of improvements we are doing to the artist building um, on shipyard building 101 and um, and then also the developer reimbursements for tax increment reimbursements. The next category are professional services, which largely consists of many line items for legal support services and other professional services to help us um, review um, various project documents as well as um, implement uh, land transactions as, as parks transfer over to from the developer to the city and also to um, you know things like mapping services uh, that we hope to embark on in the near term for the project. And then our third category is, are the community benefits and these consist of developer contributions both tied to the phase one and phase two DDA for um, both projects. And uh, we uh, OCI staff works closely with the Legacy Foundation um, to administer how these funds will be paid. And some of them have come before our, our commission for a scholarship fund, um, as well as contractor assistance, and um, also education improvement fund. Those are some of the category uh, of expenditures that are tied to the community benefits program in the uh, phase one and phase two DBAs. And then our final smallest category are lease payments that um, OCI makes on behalf of the artists who reside on shipyard lands that have yet to transfer. And we also have S SFPD has a facility on shipyards and they make lease payments and we pass them on to the Navy. Next slide, please. So in terms of the work program, um, on shipyard phase one, we have four development blocks, uh, housing development blocks, three of which are OCI affordable housing blocks that we will be working on in the upcoming fiscal year. We are also really excited to take over the parks on Hilltop located on shipyard phase one. Uh, they are trans the developers are close to completing their obligation and related to improving the parks. And then uh, these parks will transfer over and will be uh, managed by OCII through our CFP funds. And we are finalizing designs on two of those development blocks on phase one. We continue to work with CAC and the Legacy Foundation to implement the expenditure of the community benefits uh, programs that I spoke to about earlier. And we continue to work with the Navy and the various regulators who are retesting um, Shapiro phase two, um, uh, all parcels and uh, we are working with them closely. So again, below is the detailed kind of a breakout of the various categories I just spoke about. Um, an aggregate of 7.5 is phase one, phase two. There's a portion that is, is for the building 101 improvements, which is uh, improvements we're making to an existing building located on a shipyard where the artists currently have studios. We have uh, professional services um, and then the community benefits fund, which I just went over and the lease payments. Um, that's the detail of the expenditures. And then now I will pass it on to my colleague, Aaron Foxworthy for development services. Uh, good morning, Chair Vendegna and board members, Aaron Foxworthy. Uh, Acting Development Services Manager. Um, next slide, please. 
our asset management work plan for this year uh, continues to um, focus on implementing the long-range property management plan for disposition of properties uh, retained by OCII, as well as um, to manage and support activities within uh, project areas and uh, in former project areas that are uh, no longer in existence or no longer in force. Next slide, please. And with that, I can turn it over to my colleague uh, at uh, Ray um, Lee uh, at uh, Contract Compliance. Thank you, Ryan. Good morning, Chair Vandega, board members, Durham Director Earp. Uh, Raymond Lee, Contract Compliance Supervisor with OCII. Next slide, please. Uh, contract compliance work plans are pretty straightforward. It's really to support project deliveries, uh, but so to support our project team. But we do enforce compliance with our equal opportunity programs. Those include non-discrimination, small business enterprise, uh, local workforce hiring, and prevailing wages. Uh, a particular note is a funding request um, for our MOU with the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, uh, and that is specific for workforce compliance. We're requesting 291,200 for fiscal year 2223, bulk of which is developer reimbursements with reserve balances and about 15% from RPTTF non-admin. Next slide, please. Uh, because our work plan is pretty straightforward, I thought I'll take this opportunity to provide just a, a, uh, an update in terms of current year uh, progress. Uh, and this, these are accomplishments uh, from year to date for fiscal year 22. As of December 2021, um, we have awarded about 7 million to small businesses, which comprise about 62% for small business. Uh, and for workforce, uh, approximately, uh, well, 172 San Francisco residents uh, from our count has performed over 29,000 hours, which constitutes 28% of the local hiring by, uh, by hours. Uh, with that said, I'll hand it back over to Mina to complete the uh, ROPS presentation. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Um, next slide, please. So our debt program will be $181.2 million. Um, you can see the use types across the leftmost column. So our the largest portion is for our existing um, tax allocation bonds debt service. That'll be $80 million. Um, we do have two new bond issuances. So we estimate 13.3 million for um, the debt service on those. Again, as I mentioned earlier, we will be refunding um, our 2016D bond. So this requires putting on the current total bond proceeds, which is 51.6 million. We estimate about um, 2.6 million of interest will be available at the time of the um, refunding. And then 25 million is what our developer has request to pay off a portion of those bonds. And so we're including that $25 million, but in the B period, um, and this is to give ourselves the policy options as we can't make the decision currently. Um, so we'll be weighing those pros and cons and it'll be clearer throughout the issuance process and you'll have another chance to weigh in on that um, as we'll bring the bond issuance before you. Um, this will be probably late 2022. Um, and then we have our other debt, 4.5 million of this is for the hotel occupancy tax refunding. And then 1.1 million is for our last payment on the low moderate income housing fund repayment. Um, and then we have our $3 million, which is the estimated cost of issuance for those two new bonds. Um, next slide, please. And so, as I mentioned, we have our two new bond issuances. It's a total of 165.4 million, 147.6 of this will be for our project funds and the remaining is to account for the cost of issuance and the reserve. Um, in Transbay, we have $89 million and these are for the two parks that Ben had mentioned, our Transbay Park and our Under Ramp Park. We estimate about $8 million in debt service annually for this, uh, this portion and then we have are 58.6 million for Mission Bay to refund the 2016 D bond, and this would be to maintain funding for our Mission Bay South infrastructure work. Next slide, please. Next slide. 
So our operating budget will be 18.7 million and the majority of this will be funded by RPTTF non-admin and other funds, which are our developer fees. Um, and then I'll go into our uses in greater detail in the next slide. Next slide, please. So the 18.7 million includes um, funding for 55 FTEs. This is no change from prior years. And this does include an estimated COLA. We have 5 million in our non-labor costs and 4.3 million in retiree obligations. <clears throat> Next slide, please. <clears throat> so this is just a year over year look at our operating budget um, from the 21-22 year to the 22-23 year. Um, and you can see that our bond proceeds are decreasing. And this is because we'll be using more other funds instead of bond proceeds to pay for our bond administration costs. Our reserve balance is decreasing by a million dollars. And this is because we were, we've been spending down on our reserve balances. And so you sort of see that um, shifting into the RPTTF non-admin where there's a $0.9 million increase to make up for that reserve spending. Um, we have our other funds, which is to fund our staffing and our bond administration costs. And then our RPTTF admin has gone down uh, based on for formula. Um, next slide, please. So in our operating budget, we have $5 million for our non-labor um, expenditures. The largest of this is for our work orders with city departments at 2.5 million. Next slide. And then this slide shows the breakout of those work orders. The largest is with the Office of the City Administrators for, to pay for our rent, mail, OLC, followed by um, our affordable housing services with the mayor, Mayor's Office of Housing. Next slide, please. And as I mentioned, our RPTTF admin um, decreases by formula. So this just shows the breakout of that formula. So it's 3% um, of the actual property tax distributed in the prior year, less prior year RPTTF admin and city and county loan repayments, which we don't have any of. And so the net change is a decrease of $400,000. Next slide, please. So we will be retiring three lines in 22-23, and this is um, retired lines generally reflect the transfer of property or completion of projects. Here you can see we're retiring our line for the Cal Reuse Grant, and this is because we're closing out the grant this year. Um, we are retiring the 27B, 2007B tab um, due to bond defeasance, and then um, a community benefits agreement line because we've uh, dispersed funds for the South, Southeast Health Center. Next slide, please. So we will be um, including three new ROPS lines um, next year, and this is uh, two of them are for those two new bonds, and then one is for a new affordable housing loan for Mission Bay South Block 4 East. Next slide. And then just a reminder of where we are in the process. So we are here with the workshop before you today. We'll present this workshop to the commission next week and then be back before you for the action approval the 24th to submit the ROPS to DOF before February 1st. Um, and that concludes our presentation for the ROPS workshop. Uh, thank you to staff for your presentation. Obviously a lot of hard work went into this. I will turn to my fellow uh, board members for their comments and questions. If I may, uh, Chair Van Degen, I did have a question. Um, I think this is for Ms. Do, but um, uh, maybe for others as well. So I was wondering if somebody could give me a kind of high level um, explanation of the developer fees that comprise, you know, a good portion of what you all are calling the other um, in terms of a source and use. So um, under what conditions are developers paying into this fund and is the amount that's available next year typical? I know the uses of the other funds are higher um, next year because there's a number of affordable housing projects, but um, is the amount that was gen that will be generated for this ROPS year typical? And can you just give an example of what kind of project would pay these fees under what under what arrangements and, and kind of when in their life cycle? Sure, um, I think I'll start 
answering part of it and then I could turn it over to Elizabeth who might be able to speak to the housing fees a little bit more, but under our other funds. So part of our in part of our operations, we do bill our developers. And so when we bill our developers and they remit payment that that comes in under our other classification. Um, we do have these sort of in lieu fees, which are like job housing linkage fees that come in to pay for our affordable housing projects. And that's typically based off of um, square footage and some of our com the commercial development. And so that can vary based on the different projects. Um, and so this does, this is sort of like we have a bank of our fees and then we kind of disperse them as we need them um, over time. So it's not necessarily gonna be kind of like the steady state of expenditure. It does vary based on the projects. And then maybe Elizabeth, if there's more that you might wanna add to the housing portion, since this is a larger portion of the other funds. Hi, Mina. I um, I don't have anything to add to your uh, to your summary, but thank you very much. So, can I ask a clarifying question? So, when you say our developers, uh, we bill our developers. So, who are our like? What would be an example? Are these are these like regular inclusionary fees paid by developers in in the program in the project areas. Um, I guess per, perhaps I can kind of step in and clarify. So in our master development agreements, those master developers are responsible for agency costs. So all our staff time, uh, as well as any uh, bills that come from other city departments to us that then, then we forward to the developer, they are obligated to cover those costs. So we budget what we anticipate to be uh, the cost, but of course it's always just based on actuals. What what bills are actually generated? That's what they will pay when it is a developer reimbursement. Uh, so we don't have that cash in hand today. We would seek that reimbursement should a bill, uh, you know, actually come, uh, you know, come to fruition. Uh, on in lieu fees, that is a development impact fee, for instance, that developers over time, based on a specific requirement that may be for that particular redevelopment project area or a city requirement, uh, but we are the designated recipient and we collect those over time. That is cash we have in hand. And uh, those often have uh, restrictions on what the use is. For instance, a jobs housing linkage fee would be for affordable housing uses. So I just wanted to make that distinction between developer reimbursement, which we would get the money when we uh, have the cost and then developer impact fees where we may already have that cash from from previous uh you know developer payments i hope that helps oh that's very helpful thank you yeah i mean one of the reasons i'm asking is you know at, at most cd are the impact fees really dried up because mostly because of COVID impacts to kind of development in general um i wouldn't say they're dried up i guess they've mostly been delayed as projects are delayed so i was you know wondering if the the amount that you all are working with this year is banked from previous years, or are you seeing still a stream of fees coming in? Well, so for the, the in lieu fees for housing are from previous years. So okay. those are our previous ones, but all of the other developer reimbursement, uh, again, those, I think I, I might not have answered your question specifically as to who those are, but it would be our, the master developers, you know, Fossil in Mission Bay, Lennar in Shipyard Phase 1, Five Point in Shipyard Phase 2 in Candlestick, and then the individual block developers in Transbay, for instance, you know, are covering our staff costs. So, um, again, that doesn't really waver too much with, uh, you know, that, that wavers only by the activity that we generate, I would say. So, yeah, we aren't reliant on um, those impact fees for sort of an ongoing operating cost as much as maybe you might see in most CD. Okay, great. That's very, very helpful. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for um, your responses. Um, I also had a couple questions, um, sort of going after uh, what board member Eli just raised. So, uh, how, just like sort of general question, how is ROPS affected by changes in project timelines, particularly delays? Well, I'll, I'll give an overview and then, uh, Mina, if you want to jump in on anything. Like with any budget, it's a projection based on the best information that we have available. Uh, so we try to have, you know, conservative yet reasonable assumptions 
Um, you know, we've been doing this now for you know many years. It's hard to believe how much time has passed uh, since dissolution. So I think we've we've um, sort of really honed in on what we feel are the appropriate cushions um, in terms of being ready for any changes that might happen. And to the extent that something doesn't happen, that we really hope to move a project forward in a given year, um, then what we would do is, you know, again, we we can only we can only spend money if the activity actually happens. So if it doesn't happen, we would roll that project forward and ask for that authority in subsequent budget years and ROPS years. Um, so, um, you know, that that does happen where, uh, you know, things like a, a pandemic can slow down uh, project uh, timelines. And so we, you know, there are instances where we are, you know, had a similar estimate last year. Unfortunately, the project didn't, you know, hit the milestones. Uh, we had originally projected and so we've adjusted and uh, requested again. So we just keep going and do our best in the meantime to advance those projects uh, using all, all the, the tools uh, to our disposal. That answers your question. Yeah, and I, you know, before I ask anything about specific projects, I do want to just talk hypothetically here. So um, hypothetically, if there were a project, let's just pick up parks project. Um, because of pandemic and uh, d delays to materials that, you know, we are facing right now, all of that, and it's like a, a year delayed now, the, the entire, all, all the permitting, all the design, the construction is delayed a full year. Um, so that money would simply just roll over and then there would be some probably additional costs due to inflation, additional like whatever costs, and that would just be dealt with in future ROPS sort of actions. Yeah, I would say it depends in the case of a project that might be actively in construction. Um, you know, the best practice is to include various contingencies within the budget that allow for you to, to deal with that. Many times a project can internally uh, adjust and use contingencies to cover uh, price impacts or, you know, that may come from a delay. Should it exceed that, then yes, we would need to seek additional authority. Um, and approvals in order to put more funding into a project that already had its contract in place for projects that are in pre-development. Um, and if we haven't actually entered into the construction contract, gives you a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. And, you know, you just, again, do your best to project um, based on the, the trends you might be seeing. Um, and again, contingencies are always, always important and advisable, yeah. For sure. now more than ever. Yeah, so I guess my last sort of like comment with a question here then is, you know, my understanding, I'm, I'm new to the oversight board here, but my understanding is that, you know, there's a lot of obligations that OCII has held to, especially around developing infrastructure and especially with affordable housing. I think it'd be really helpful for these uh, presentations in the future to not only give um, the current project status and the money that's been spent and the units in the pipeline, et cetera, but really to give some updates around the timeline, especially if anything has sort of been pushed back. And, you know, I, I've worked a lot in capital transit infrastructure, so I can't think of a single major transit project that has maintained the timeline and budget as originally approved. And that is a reality as we do things, you know, based on information we have before us. But I think it'd be really helpful, especially for the major affordable housing projects to get the, any changes to timeline as well as part of this. So like if you can build it into future presentations, if that's possible. And then given that, especially with affordable housing projects, is there, can can some of your staff maybe give like high level updates if there have been any major changes in timelines? Uh, sure, yeah, Elizabeth can certainly give you some, some high level summary. I'll just say that particularly for affordable housing, uh, it's not necessarily a set timeline because many of the financing milestones that we have to meet are often uh, outside of our control and frequently you might have to apply through multiple rounds of state funding. Um, so we have uh, sort of some best guesses on when a project might move forward, but if it needs to apply multiple times, right, we just we keep going until we can get there. So it's not like we have a, a restrictive timeline that then if something gets missed, you have to do a whole action to change it. It's it's just uh, it's a very complex time uh, right now, particularly at the state level. So we we maintain a flexible approach on that. Um, uh, but Elizabeth, is there anything you want to just highlight in terms of you know where you see the housing portfolio right now? Please uh, please share. Yeah. Sure. I think um, piggybacking on that, Sally, a good um, 
a good example of two projects that the shipyard projects 52 and 54 and block 56 um, are both incorporating some escalation, assuming that they're going to have to make multiple applications to the state for um, bond financing. So we've um, plugged some escalation into these the our gap numbers here just so that um, they're able to go forward. Um, even if they have to apply multiple times, 1 of the projects blocks 52 and 54 has already applied once to the state and is planning to apply again um, next month uh, and the and block 56 will apply for the 1st time this year. But we've uh, um, tried to make some predictions here that allow um, allow for some escalation of costs into. Um, next early next year, if need be. Great, thanks. I mean, I think that was a helpful example. I think, you know, the point that was made, I, I get that delays in pre development aren't really delays because they're, you know, who knows sometimes how long um, that process takes. But I think it'd be also helpful to hear for construction um, for, for any major infrastructure project, both on the affordable housing front, the parks, etc. Um, but I'll just end my comments there. Thank you. Thank you. And I think uh, board member Williams may have a question. Yes, thank you so much and really great presentation. I had a question around the, um, the Navy shipyard cleanup and if that is in any way sort of impacting um, the budget and just want to hear a little bit more about that process. I know there's a lot happening and so really curious um, how that has any impact on our budget. Thanks. Hi, this is Lila Hussain again. Um, um, it doesn't impact the annual budget per se, but it uh, impacts the overall timeline of the project because the delay in the transfer of those parcels um, have delayed the timeline for developing those parcels. So it's going to, similar to the previous questions, it's going to extend out the previously anticipated timeline of the overall project because of the delay of the cleanup. Yeah. So that answer and, your question. Yes, it does. I, I'm just thinking like if that, you know, that process could take a significant amount of time into member Lee's sort of line of questioning. I just, I'm curious how, how folks are sort of planning for that because it's a lot and I don't know, you know, getting those parcels transferred over how uh, long that would take. I imagine a sub number of years. Um, yeah, that transfer yeah. to happen. Yeah, so. I'll just add that um, it, it is absolutely something that we pay close attention to. Uh, you know, we are somewhat um, not able to, we, you know, we can't really control uh, these federal agencies as they go through the cleanup process. I think what we're trying to do in the meantime is advance all the other work that we can move forward, whether it be shipyard phase one or on candlestick um, so that we can, you know, and, and what other work we can do to be ready. Um, but ultimately, uh, development won't happen until all of the regulators are satisfied that these parcels are clean and safe for development. Um, and so we are going to continue to, again, track that very closely. Uh, it does seem uh, not in the, certainly not in this uh, ROPS period that, that any of those transfers, it is uh, several years away before another parcel would be anticipated to be transferred. So as it gets closer, we would for sure uh, be updating the oversight board um, you know, on what that might mean and how uh, activity might get going, but we're, uh, we're still uh, several years away. And just uh, one point of, you know, just a, a fact that may be helpful is that the, the shipyard phase two portion of that development is, um, you know, is sort of officially on pause. So the clock has, uh, you know, we have recognized that this is a situation that, uh, you know, neither the master developer nor OCI can move forward. So, um, you know, we have, we have taken steps to officially declare the shipyard phase 2 portion sort of on pause, but that doesn't mean we can't be working on, on other uh, projects in, in that larger community. And that's what we're trying to focus on. Has there been any, um, communication, um, around sort of like the need to sort of, you know, uh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, it is uh, very important. I, I will, um, just echo all of the comments that I've certainly heard the mayor make, which is. You know, we want to see this done, but we want to see it done right. Um, and the process needs to be as thorough as possible to ensure, you know, the safety of, you know, San Francisco residents. 
Um, so there's, uh, you know, you know, absolutely, we want to move this forward. We it, it is a, a very complicated process, and and we want to make sure that those federal parties are doing everything that they need to do. And we've been working closely with them on communications with the community. The Navy just did a rather large community meeting at the end of October um, to update everybody, and we'll continue to um, work with them to ensure that they can keep everybody um, up to date on their status and uh, and and you know their process for for the cleanup. Do we have other board members that have questions? I think board member might yes. have Yeah, I've got a couple of questions. Thank you. Um, the first question I had, and, and thank you very much for the, the prior questions and, and responses. They've been pretty great. And the presentation was wonderful as well. Um, so thank you, staff, and thank you for all the project managers for being here today. Um, I did have a question about the, the debt program. Um, it's a kind of in, in two parts, um, first in, in general, um, but then specifically about some of the, the new um, bonds that were proposed for being issued this upcoming year. Um, in general, it's our second largest expenditure, I believe, was part of the presentation. And I was just wondering if from a staff perspective, if we think that um, what we're dealing with right now is the most efficient way to be doing it, or if there might be another option for um, the, the debt program as a whole. Um, and then specifically, I think I, I heard that the, the new bond program is a 7%. And is that on par with where other bonds of a government agency would be? Um, and then I have an unrelated question after that. So. Sure. Brima Horder, Deputy Director of Finance and Administration. Um, it looks like Mina's not on my screen. She somehow fall off the call. No, I'm here. Oh, sorry. Then Mina, please feel free to answer. I was only stepping in because I couldn't see you and I wanted to make sure there was an answer. Sorry. Technology. No, I, I think I'll, I'll let you take the question for you. Oh, sure. Um, so our um that's a great question about the efficiency of the debt program. We actually did a really large refunding in 2017 where we harvested all of the opportunities to refund debt at a lower price. Um, so we'll have to wait for a few years until other bonds come into um, a position where they could be refundable. The one exception to that is 2016D, which was a private placement debt in 2016. It's eligible for refunding in August of 2022. And that is the refunding that Mina mentioned in the presentation. So we are actively monitoring our, portfo our portfolio and making sure that we're um, taking opportunities to reduce our debt service where we can. And I'm sorry, I don't recall the second question. Uh, the, the second question was related to the 7% for the, oh, the new yes. bonds, the more specific. Yeah, no, actually that's quite high. Um, we actually, our last issuance was under 3%. Um, but we do use 7% because um, that's sort of a 10 to 15 year average. And the ROCS is an outer expenditure authority. And if we estimate too low, then we won't have enough room to do the issuance. So we estimate very, very high to give ourselves plenty of room to work within changing market conditions. I think particularly with everything that there's a lot of volatility right now in the world in general, which is reflected in the financial market. So um, we like to give ourselves plenty of room to operate. But um, I, I would say that we only expend what actually happens in the actual financing process. So if, as we expect, interest rates come in more around 3%, then we, the actual expenditure that would occur would be at the actual level that the debt was issued at. So it would actually look and feel like a savings relative to the ROCs. Um, and we do, the oversight board does approve all of our debt issuances. So you would see this again, about 90 days before the proposed issuance date. And by that time, we'll be a lot more certain about what the financial parameters of the issuance would be. So we anticipate generally what we try to do is come back to the oversight board in 
September, August, September to have you look at our bond issuances for the year and then issue around Thanksgiving. So that's another reason why we give ourselves um, such a high estimate because you know between now and a year from now, there's that's a lot of water under the bridge. Okay. Um, and then my sort of unrelated question um, was with regards to um, the assumption of the COLA for the staff in this year's budget. Um, and I was just wondering what that COLA percentage was assumed to be. I believe that it's 3%. That's what we've generally used in the past. Um, the MOUs are up for negotiation this year. Um, so again, we're, look, we're using historical data in order to um, make sure that we have enough room for whatever is approved. But Mina, is it, can you, I couldn't recall, is it three or 3.25? Um, we actually use about 4% just to give us a little bit of a cushion, but this, as Bree mentioned, this is sort of based off of what the prior year MOU looked like. So every year was about 3, 3.5, a little bit more than 3.5%. So we put it at 4% just to be a little bit more conservative, and then it's also consistent with what the city uses in their projections. Thank you. Um, those are my, my questions for now. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and I've got a couple questions. Um, one uh, question with regard to um, the, the proposed Trans Bay bond issue. I was curious, would any of those uh, bond proceeds go towards the interim activation of the of the temporary terminal site? Hi, Chair Van Degnan. This has been Brandon, Trans Bay Project Manager. The, the simple answer to that is no. Um, we have what's called a, a PTE or a permit to enter. Uh, with East Cut Landing Partners for their interim activation use of the temp terminal site. So OCAI is not currently expending dollars um, to help fund uh, that project. They are doing that on their own. Um, prior to the interim activation, when we were just doing property management, we were expending our own dollars to manage the site um, from a property management standpoint. But at this at this point in time, no, the interim activation is independent of the agency and we are not uh, spending dollars on that. And so therefore the, the forthcoming um, bond issuance dollars that you're asking about will also not be going to fund those uh, that work. Great, thank you very much. Um, and another question re related to the other proposed issue and I appreciate that we'll have another opportunity to, um, to look at this as it gets closer to the planned issuance, but I just wanna make sure I understand um, how the ROPs work with refinancings. Um, so for the Mission Bay um, 2016D kind of proposed refinancing, I noted that there's the debt service on there of, of 5.3 or it was 5.3 million. How does that relate to the existing debt service? Are they both shown on the ROPS or um, is that, would that be an increase? Chairman Degneb, Green Reporter, Yes, we show them both on the ROPs. Um, that is at the direction of you. Okay, and then ultimately, if you did issue the the refunding bonds, then it would be shown. Both would be shown anymore. Okay, right. Well, the the ROPs doesn't change throughout the year. Once the amount is approved, it's approved. But we wouldn't make the expenditure, and then in the next ROPs, we would retire. We would zero it out or retire the line. Excellent. Okay, that makes sense. Um, do other board members have questions? Well, thanks again um, to staff for your presentation and thorough answers to all of the, uh, the questions. Um, Madam Secretary, do you have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? At this time, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001 enter access code 2480-088-8854, press the pound sign twice, then press star three once you're on the call to submit your request to speak. If you're already on the phone with us and you'd like to provide public comment, please press star three or look for the raise hand um, icon on your desktop or mobile devices.
Madam Chair, it does not appear there's any members of the public wishing to comment on this item. Thank you. Um, board members, since this is a workshop item, no action will be required today. Staff will be back um, later this month for board approval. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. The next order of business is item six, new matters for future consideration. Madam Chair. Uh, there are no new matters for future consideration. Um, please call the next item. The next order of business is item seven, public comment on non-agenda items. Madam Chair. Uh, Madam Secretary, do you have any uh, members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on non-agenda items should call 415-655-0001. Enter 2480-088-8854. Press the pound sign, then the pound sign again. Then press star, then three to submit your request to speak. Madam, uh, Madam Chair, there are no members of the public wishing to provide public comment at this time. Okay, with, uh, with no request to speak on this item, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. The next order of business is item eight, adjournment. Madam Chair. Board members, I'll need a, a motion and a second to adjourn. So moved. Thank you. Second. Board member Williams and then board member Crutt. Uh, great. Uh, so the meeting is adjourned today at 12.06 Yeah. Thank you. Thanks all. Great. Thank you, everyone. Nice to see everybody. Thank you. Bye.